you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the 100th edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's milestone anniversary 100th episode, we are talking to an all-time sports legend, Green Bay Packers great Brett Favre, all about his love of the outdoors. We're talking hunting mountain lions. We're talking biking 120 miles. We're talking bathing in (laughs) streams and lakes and rivers uh, when the power's out and the water's out after a hurricane. And we are talking a whole new definition of the term sack that you definitely want to (laughs) stick around for. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me for the 100th episode, you knew it was coming, the entire Just Not Sports gang. I'm going to start in Chicago with the man who who predates everyone on the show, myself included, who sat across from me in a studio that we paid for. Um, yeah, we sure did. We paid for... Rookie uh, move. Yeah, two years ago. Uh, he is a longtime uh, sports PR guru who has logged time with the Colorado Buffaloes, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. He is Adam Millard. Adam, be honest. How many episodes did you think we were actually going to get into? Uh, I assumed, Brad, because you were in charge, that I would be, from the time we started, I would still be doing this in the nursing home, shitting in the <laughs> bedpan, getting notes about our mic levels. So that's how long I thought it would last. Well, Adam, if it makes you feel better, um, I started uh, shitting in the bed uh, out of stress <laughs> after about 17 episodes. Yeah, um, I know? believe that. <laughs> um, real quick, do you remember what I? Do you remember what I started? The very first episode with, because I always start every show with, if you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, but that's not what episode one started with. Do you remember what it was? I do not. Can you can you refresh my memory? It was, uh, it, it was, you are looking live on tape. Oh, <laughs> that's a reference. to uh, Brett Musburger uh, uh-huh. at the time. And I still remember... We got done with that first show, and the producer that we had we had hired to help us, pre Joe Reed, just after we was done, he's like, "I gotta be honest, man, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I thought." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this uh, is a guy who I mean, this is a, a really professional studio that we were at. They worked with the guys from Howard Stern. They do tons of ads. So well, having used us tape there, yeah. Yeah, having us hacks in there, I'm sure wasn't the highlight of their day, but it was a highlight on that day. Yeah, and uh, highlight for my wife when she saw how much that cost. <laughs> yeah. um, which is why we brought in the rest of the Chestnut Sports crew to supplement the work. <laughs> so let's go to our Brooklyn Bureau. Uh, he is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer who first joined us, I believe, episode... For our breakdown of uh, Michael Jackson versus Michael Jordan, Gareth, be honest. How many episodes did you think we were going to make it? 
I'm with Adam. I actually thought about this coming into this episode when I was just sort of taking stock of what we were going to do uh, or what we had done and how we were going to discuss it. Look, Brad, if you're involved, I just figure it's going to go on forever <laughs> as long as it needs to. So, <laughs> Joe, Reed, Joe Reed out in Seattle. Uh, how long did you think this was going to go? Because Joe, Joe I, I, I walked by in the hallway of the office we worked in. And he said, "Are you really going to do that podcast you never shut up about?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, I'll, I'll I'll help you with the audio. I wouldn't mind learning some audio." And then a hundred episodes later, we still have you handcuffed to a uh, pipe in the basement of Just Not Sports, <laughs> refusing to let you go. How long? Uh, how long did you give us, Joe, when you first heard these yahoos were going to do this? Oh, maybe I don't know, ten episodes max. <laughs> you know, Brad can't Brad can't finish anything. Uh, no, I honest, I honest to God. Sort of felt the same way. I, I think it was, I don't know. It, it must have been early on. Because we started in, was it October-ish or the sort of late fall? It, it was maybe the first time we talked about Clipboard Brad. The idea of like, um, all right, guys, we gotta, we're going to plan in the next four weeks. we got to schedule our get. Like the, the way you had come up with like a, a, a sixth-week projection of what our, our holiday taping session was going to look like, I was like, Brad is going to have an answer for every possibility that comes our way, and there are going to be episodes until we die. I gave us 30 episodes. Adam, I can tell you when I thought this show was dead. It was episode 25. You and me, exhausted from work, sitting across from each other, interviewing long-ago Chiefs kicker Nick Lowry <laughs> about oh, man, I forgot time about on that. Capitol Hill like 30 years ago. And I just remember being like, this is probably done. And then the very next week, this is a true story. <laughs> the very next week, we put out um, More Than Mean, our harassment video. And that's when the that's when we started to get a lot more press and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, you never know. And who knows? Maybe we'll be done an episode um, <laughs> next week when we break down the program. <laughs> you know I, mean? I was going to say, after the program, <laughs> we're ending at 101. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll go out the bang though. But look, we got a great show. We got a great guest, and but but, but just to start, we wanted to sort of uh, look back at where we've come from. Uh, this may seem like some navel gazing. We're gonna try to have it have it fun. If you're new to the show, um, you know, we want you to 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 sort of get a you know a, a little bit of a taste of of you know where we've come from. And if you're a longtime listener, we you know we appreciate you guys so much. The Sparkle Pony is a term I haven't thrown out in a long time, but. Um, you know, the Sparkle Ponies who make this show go, thank you for everything. And we wanted to kind of look back at some of our favorite moments and, and the things that, uh, uh, you know, we've had a good time doing. With that said, I wanted to kind of go back and, and, and ask each one of us, like, which of the interviews was the most meaningful? Because this show, above and beyond, started because we work in sports and we talk to athletes, we talk to media, um, we talk to coaches off the record and they're very interesting. And then when you put a microphone in front of them, they clam up and they try to be boring because that's how you don't start a controversy. And the whole reason we did this was to get people to open up and show their personality and, and give them a safe space to talk about whatever without having to worry about a gotcha question about something on, on first take. So I wanted to ask you guys, like, what are your, you know, two, three, there's no set number, but what were the most meaningful interviews to you and why uh, Adam, since you you and I were across from each other on episode one, what were the interviews that stand out to you that were most meaningful to you personally? 
I'll give you a handful and I'll kind of count down. So we're doing top three working backwards. I would say that tied for number three would be the Kevin Harlan episode. We tried to get him for a long time. He's one of my favorite. I think he's one of the nicest guys in sports. Um, And we got him on to talk about his experience working on the video game NBA 2K. He said that he was going to put my name in the game next year, which was really exciting. And it's just kind of cool. I think, Brad, you know, and Gareth as well, you guys know this working in sports, that it's a very small world and you tend to have contact with the same people maybe not every year, but down the road. And that was the first time I had talked to Kevin in a long time. So that was very meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, so 3A and 3B, I really loved, uh, Brad, I loved the interview you did with Sean Livingston. I thought it was um, very personal from his end and your end too. There was a genuine connection. And I think, of course, those make for the best interviews. We interview people a lot about a lot of different topics. It's hard to be an expert on everything and and we really want to hear from them. But I really thought the exchange between you two um, was was something special. So that that's another one. Uh, I love talking to Vern Lundquist. I think that was another example. When we we talked about this show, we were uh, we came from a PR standpoint of, well, We'll ask 15 to 20 minutes of these guys and see what we can get. And I think we discovered time and time again that when someone is really engaged in a topic, they'll go on forever. Yeah, don't, don't misunderstand. I appreciate good acting because I was in Happy Gilmore. Don't. Oh, oh yeah. Let's go there. Yeah, you're yes. opening a Pandora's box here. When you read the script for Happy Gilmore, did you think it was going to be okay, or did it just sound like or seem like gibberish on the page? Well, I could. I, I saw only my scenes, and so I didn't know okay. the first half of the movie. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. I had no idea. So when I saw it, I was somewhat shocked. <laughs> what was that like seeing it? They flew Nancy and me from Colorado out to the Universal lot for the world premiere. And they had it one of the United Universal uh, theaters. And Bob Parker was there. I got to meet him. And Sandler was there. And probably 600 people in the in the theater. And uh, uh, we went in and sat down. That's the first time I'd seen the whole thing. And I thought, holy cow, this is... Uh, this is some kind of wild movie. And then number one, going back to what you said, Brad, the, the first episode, our first guest, we talked to former NFL linebacker Chad Brown um, about his love for, for reptiles and snakes. And he was telling the story about being in, I believe it was Indonesia, uh, out at night with live chickens trying to draw pythons out of a cave. And Brad and I kind of looked at each other and thought, well, no matter how long we decide for this to go, we might just have something here. Um, and that was, a re- I just thought that was a really cool interview. He's also uh, a Colorado Buffalo. So uh, our first interview ever, had, we had no idea how it would go, but, um, but really fantastic. Oh, by the way, Adam, shame on you. Did you, did you not mention Bill Bellamy talking about um, talking about uh, the Rock and Jock B-Ball Jam. That was a fun conversation. I thought the really interesting part of that conversation 
was asking him about the behind the scenes celebrity hookups. And he reminded us, Hey, this was before social media. There was all kinds of stuff going on then that you couldn't get away with now. And, uh, yeah, fun conversation. Yeah. I, I, I almost believed Bill Bellamy when he maybe kind of suggested he hooked up with like celebrities from the nineties, but you know, not fully believed. Um, Gareth, uh, who who stands out from your perspective on uh, just fun interviews along the way? Uh, so I have to say that um, interviewing Michael Schur about the power broker was kind of like, that was an all-timer. <laughs> and Michael Schur, creator of Parks and Rec, creator of uh, The Good Place. What I like about that interview was that we we nailed him on something that was just like so weird you know we had seen him on twitter what in like 2010 maybe he was talking about the power broker this this like tome of a book it's like 1200 pages about the new york city's parks and recreational director tr- director of transportation robert yep. moses and gareth and i read that book and when we reached out to his publicist she's like sure i'll i'll ask him and then he was like, oh, yeah, I'll talk about this because like my wife banned me from talking about this book at parties because I won't shut up about it. And here are these two yahoos that are like, can we please talk to you about it? He like left the set totally. and gave us like an hour, man. I mean, that, that's like that was that was that was hilarious that the fact that that one tweet like years and years before we ever had this idea turned into us interviewing the dude who created Parks and Rec. Well, and everything about that, like for me personally, was really cool. Like his manager was went to my college and founded the improv group that was like a big part of my college experience. And we started emailing about that. He was on set doing Master of None at that as we talked to him. I was on set shooting a Thanksgiving tease that Bruce Campbell ended up voicing. I don't know. It was just it felt it, the everything around that interview was very cool. So that was that's one that I'll always sort of be thankful for. Um, this is one I did while, Brad, while you were out on paternity leave last year, but w- sitting down and talking to Spencer Hall about Buffalo and the future of uh, the NFL. I mean, look, in football, this show, if nothing else, sort of coincided with a lot of – like we're doing this at a time when the NFL has in football in general has come under a lot of scrutiny and, you know, like in some ways working on this show became our outlet from what can be like a very corporate grind of working in sports. So to have an outlet where for like 45 minutes, I could just engage one of my favorite writers who also loves football, but is talking about it in the sense of, where is this sport going from here? And we could actually ask the questions we wanted to. Um, it was the conversations I wanted to be having with the people I wanted to be having in that. And I'll forever be thankful for just not sports creating the outlet to have those conversations as much for us as for listeners and for our guests. Um, but I have to say my number one interview is probably the hardest to it, listen to interview we've ever done and that would be ed reed ed reed, ed reed. <laughs> ed reed i was ed gonna reed say yeah. it's ed reed oh yeah 
Ed Reed was in the back of a car with his son driving to like Chili's or something. It's like some restaurant. I thought it was the Cheesecake Factory. Whatever it is, it's pretty much unlistenable. (laughs) And the whole thing. Here, take a listen. Yeah, Game of Thrones is big in the Burke household, too, or it was for a while. Who are you rooting for in that show? Who do you want to see on the Iron Throne, Ed? Oh, man. I don't know, man. That's that's crazy, man. The the Lannisters, like, they're not giving it up, dude. I don't know, man. You know, and uh, what's what's my guy name? Um, uh, What's my guy name? Um, It's going to come to me. He's working with... um, Jon Snow? He's working with... uh, Jon Snow is my dude, too. I love his family. I can't believe how his family got... You know, done with, man. That was just crazy. Ed, I'm not calling you out, man, but you got a lot of guys on the show. You're like, that's my guy, that's my guy. I feel like you're playing both sides. You're playing all the sides, man. <laughs> I'm not, but it's like certain people. You didn't hear me, you didn't hear me name none of the Lannisters outside of Tyrant. That's cool. Yeah, you know what right. I'm saying? Brian, I like the Stark family. I do. Yeah, if you could get anything out of that, I don't know. But that was that was a fun conversation. I will forever remember that night we taped like for four hours straight and I left my office like exhausted and exhilarated as I got into a cab. So Ed Reed, you're forever my number one, baby. <laughs> uh, Joe Reed, how about you, man? I know, I know one of your, your favorites cause it was, it was on my, it was on my list, but I, I, I know, I know the, the, the guest that you booked uh, for the first time, uh, tell our listeners about it. I also highlighted um, Ed Reed because that was just, it was like very off the rails, but it also was just right. Um, And yeah, that was wonderful. And then I also highlighted Vern Lundquist, such a nice guy. And Adam, I wrote the exact same thing. The first note I wrote was I hung it. We got off that call and I felt like he genuinely enjoyed talking with us. Um, That was so much fun. The other one that, Brad, you're probably talking about was the dual episode. We did Scott Pollard, who was on Survivor, um, which was super fun for me. I love the show. It's on right now. It's like episode 10. You guys should tune in. Joe, you were so nervous. You were so nervous because I was like, I I was terrified. I was like, I didn't watch this season. So, Joe, you're going to handle most of this. And you were like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Brad just kind of checked out. And I mean, it was it, it was really fun. It was it was weird. It was like talking to a TV character. Um, I, I don't know. It, it was it was really because the season had just ended like I don't know a month or two, a month or two prior. So it was very fresh in my mind. That was awesome. The most important question first: Would Jeff Probst like not even stand next to you on the beach for fear of like feeling that much shorter? <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the challenges were rigged against me so that I wouldn't win individual immunity <laughs> so that he didn't have to climb a ladder to put the necklace on me. <laughs> no, but uh, he's a really nice guy, though. He, he when, uh, you know, sometimes when there's dead time uh, and you're about to, you know, start a challenge or whatever, and he just he comes by and shoots the shit with you. He's a really nice guy. Great. I mean, you guys have mentioned most of mine. Um a couple that stand out to me are that we had such great 
times on the show with members of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. And like Megan Rapino joined the show. Uh, Becky Sauerbrunn and I had an awesome conversation about her love of sci-fi. But Megan Klingenberg, <laughs> she was talking to me and she kept kind of like, you could tell she was like kind of mildly scuffling with people like while she was on the phone and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, well, we, we, I, I was doing this in my room and we went downstairs and we're waiting for the bus. And now we're on the bus and my, my teammates are kind of messing with me cause I know I'm doing an interview. And I remember just being like, that's hilarious. Like the U S women's national team is like messing with Megan as she's talking to us. And yet she's still hanging up. She's hanging on the line. Like she could easily quit, but we were talking to her about her YouTube cooking show. <laughs> So I had to do some research on YouTube, or watching videos. I mean, that should have been a video, like a, a video in and of itself. Right. <laughs> um, it was I, a mess. And uh, I've only got a few more questions, but it, it's a, it's a little bit louder than it was before behind you. Is there a quieter place to go? If not, we'll just plow through. Uh, let me get on the bus real quick. I had to go down in the elevator, and all my teammates just heard me talking, and so they were just like laughing at me and trying to mess up the interview. <laughs> Well, that's uh, totally expected. No worries. We just had Megan Rapino on this week, so tell her not to tell her not to screw up. Just not sports, huh? Because she just gave us such a great interview. Sure. I will say that my favorite moment ever in an interview was talking to Sean Livingston, Warriors guard. Uh, he lived in Peoria. I, he's from Peoria. I lived in Peoria for a number of years. And when I said, "Hey, by the way, like I'm a white guy who." had a different experience than you probably did as a black guy in Peoria. Like, let's talk about that. Sean had no words for the question, which I think speaks to another thing that has emerged from the show over the years, which is us trying to get out of our comfort zone and talk to our guests on their terms to learn. Peoria is known for Bradley University. That's where that's how I ended up there. Um, I spent four years there, and I'm very cognizant of. I, I became much more cognizant of how much more diverse the city is beyond the campus uh, as I as I got a job there and I worked there. And right. I'm just curious, right. from your perspective, like what was the experience uh, as an African American in the city? Yeah, well, that's man. I mean, honestly, that's that's a very um, <laughs> that's that's a very. I'm trying to think of the way to put it. You know, that's honestly that that question right there. Um, you know, there was some hard times growing up. You know, and and also being a biracial kid as well. Um, you know, on both sides of the fence. Um, and I and and you know, people that are biracial, I'm, I think that they would understand what I'm talking about. Um, you know, being a black kid going to all white school, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, having a white mom being, you know, in kind of the inner city, um, a poverty situation, right. Where you're a light skinned kid going through and, you know, it's just, you walk those different types of lines and then that's a, you know, that can make for, you know, a very difficult childhood and, and, you know, experience, but also I was able to learn a lot as well. Um, you know, so I think my, I think the main thing is just being able to be yourself. If you're listening to this for the first time, start at episode one. Uh, Otherwise, I think people who have been with us along the way, and thank you very much to all of those people, by the way. But, uh, yeah, this has been a really fun ride, and I think 
we all to some extent get to be creative in our professional lives, but there's no better release every week than this show. Uh, well, you know, I mean, Joe Reed is still young. Maybe he's getting a few better releases than we are these days, but, you know, I, I digress. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about our favorite fights, debates, and banter, because the other thing we do in the show is break down what athletes do away from sports. I'm going to start. <laughs> I got, I got two, I got three things that I want to just throw out there. One is when we compared, when I compared a few weeks ago the Allen Iverson, Stefan Marbury acting scene to Pacino, De Niro, and Heat, Adam, I've never heard you erupt in laughter so much. And what's funny is that instead of you being like that's ridiculous, for the first time I was like, he he agrees. <laughs> he totally agrees. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to jump to the most important scene in the movie, which is... Wait, wait, which one? Oh, no, no. You'll know which one. It's uh, what I would call the NBA version of Pacino versus De Niro in Heat. And that is <laughs> the, the, rest, <laughs> the restaurant scene <laughs> between Alan Iverson and yes, Stephon, which is guys, I can't even keep it together. Which is Joe Reed, keep rolling <laughs> if you're alive. Which is the single greatest bit of acting I've ever seen <laughs> from any athlete yes. ever. And I was and I was so happy watching this because these fucking two guys <laughs> nailed it. They nailed yeah, they it. Did. I, Adam, the, the saddest moment of the show ever, the saddest moment was you and me sitting across from each other in my office when I had to tell you that on Dame Lillard's first CD, I was underwhelmed. And you were like, <laughs> oh, I think I know where this is going. And I'm pretty surprised because <laughs> I like everything. He's yeah, shocked. <laughs> Brad is an athlete apologist. And I think the most frustrating conversation we've had was about Thunderstruck, which is an absolute piece of shit. Brad almost had me convinced that it was entertaining. <laughs> but in retrospect, that is a horrible movie. And it, and although I think Brad has since then, uh, since then he's balanced himself out a little bit, um, for a while, Brad was celebrating any time an athlete um, rode the bus on their own. And I remember <laughs> Brad. I remember Brad specifically saying, "Like, well, no, but if you're good at one thing and you and you do another thing off the court, you automatically get more points." I still don't understand the logic. Kevin Durant and that movie were an absolute travesty, and I I was really mad because I. I thought at the time, if we ever take off and people go back to listen to these episodes, and if athletes ever listen to these episodes, it gives them permission to do absolute shit. And uh, I really didn't appreciate it. It really upset me. And uh, I really don't like Kevin Durant. I thought we've had a couple moments where we're sort of ahead of the news. I, I think more than mean was clearly one of those. Uh, the conversation on... Civil War monuments that came out weeks before they became a bigger story 
I was sort of like, wow, we've already had that discussion. That was refreshing. But honestly, my favorite piece of banter ever <clears throat> happened this fall. Um, we were doing an episode, and when we started the show, we always talked about uh, one of our strengths was our sense of curiosity. And we're all pretty good interviewers, but just collectively our field of knowledge is just so broad that any one of us could, we can all handle an interview either together or on our own. Like, Oh yeah, I can take that topic or whatever. And so we were doing a show and we got to the end of the show and Brad said, do you have any shout outs? I was like, yeah, I want to give a shout out to Willem de Kooning. It's his birthday today. (laughs) And for whatever reason, as I said that Brad just lost it. And I was like, what's so funny, man? Willem de Kooning's a great painter, man. And Brad was just like, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. It's just that I don't know if you need to give a happy birthday on a sports show or <laughs> just like <laughs> our field of knowledge is so broad that it's almost like we could edit it back down again. Like, okay, that was probably the first sports podcast to wish Willem de Kooning a happy birthday. Yeah. Now let's walk it back a little yeah. bit. So that well, was I, one of my favorite the- single. It's one of the hardest times I've laughed on this show. One of my favorite things, I, I don't know how I, I forgot about this, but uh, Gareth and Joe came to my martial arts class, and Gareth participated, and I thought that was really cool. It was, it was like these are two things on the opposite spectrum of my life in terms of the podcast and that environment. Um, so to see Gareth uh, come in and disturb that environment and uh, almost get kicked <laughs> out, but then really conduct a really thoughtful interview with my instructor at the time. I thought uh, that was a really fun experience. The thing, Adam, the thing I specifically remember about that is um, being in the gym and kind of getting some weird side glances, like people like kind of wondering what's going on. And then your instructors sort of give their instructions. They say, all right, here's what we're going to do. Da, 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 da. Everybody break up you know, into pairs or something, and we're going to do our little pre- pre-warm-ups, pre-exercises. And I'm there with, like, headphones on, gear wrapped around me. I'm holding the microphone, like, in Garrett's face. And he just decides to, like, walk on a treadmill for, like, 30 seconds, like, totally <laughs> ignore all ins- all instruction. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, this Gareth is going to break something. He's going to get his ass kicked. Like, this is just not going to go well at all. He just... Had no time for the uh, the warm up exercises at all, but it did. It did really go well, and it was a super fun day to to join you there. But oh man, it was a fun way to start. I remember specifically. I just had a baby. I hadn't slept in weeks, and Garrett's like, "Hey man, check out what we did for our show." And I just remember going, "What the fuck, guys?" <laughs> like, I'm gone. <laughs> I'm gone for two weeks, and like the show goes dark. Everyone takes the holidays off, no, no, no. and they come back and be like, "Yeah, Garrett's on a treadmill at this martial arts class," and I'm like, "I fucking, I want a business meeting right now." <laughs> it's a dark time. In my life. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, Brad, good news. It only took us three weeks, but we did an infomercial for Adam's gym." <laughs> so, yeah. I was like. <laughs> At least edit it and make it like an essay or something. And then no no responses, like no emails back, no texts. I'm like, fuck everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, all right, Joe, any any memorable banter moments from you? 
I couldn't tell you what episode it was in, but we were talking about purchasing gifts. Like it must have been a holiday one, I guess, and maybe that's why I'm thinking of it now, coming up to Christmas. But um, we talked about purchasing gifts, and I had said something like, "I am the type of person who." who loves a practical, functional gift. I love a gift that I can use. And I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember you, like, scoffing at this idea, like, oh, my God, ugh, no. And then something happened, we got interrupted, and we didn't come back to it. And so I'm curious what your perspective is now. Maybe we can settle this thing that's been in the back of my mind for, like, a year. What is do you what what kind of gift do you like to get around the holiday season? Is it are you do you hate practical gifts like functional usable things? No, no. I mean, I, I my mom used to give us like socks and stuff, so I'm all good. I mean, I I do think the holidays are when you either get something you really really need or you get something you really really want. You just don't want to get something that doesn't fit either of those buckets. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, like, like how that makes sense. Maybe like, I'm and, just over Joe, over remembering. You're talking, Joe. You're talking uh, practical. You're talking to a dude who has ordered multiple obscure Bengals jerseys from eBay. So practical, <laughs> not always. Dozens and dozens. That's true. The, the context clues have existed for a long time. I should have picked up on it. You're right, Adam. No, like seriously, guys. Like when Adam said he knows Eric Bieniemy, I was like, I have an Eric Bieniemy Bengals jersey. Can he autograph it? Like, I mean, just it wasn't even. I'll get one. It was like I've got it right here. Like, you just send this to him. Um, now hanging on my did. office wall. Okay. Um, I want to. I, I don't even some, know who that person is. I want. I want to throw these out there and see if you guys. Um, if, if see if you guys agree. I pull. I, I wrote down what I consider to be each of our individual catchphrases from the show over the years. Hate where this is going. Mine will be, I will say this. I think I, think I say, I will say this a lot. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, you do. Now that you're calling it out, you say that a lot. Hey, Joe, uh, would you say 100% right? Because you say 100% every fucking time you open your mouth, bro. Oh, 100%. I do that. 100%. So yeah. much, Joe, that Absolutely. I, I made that one of my distractions recently where I said to Gareth, like, when did 100% take over? Because Joe Reed started saying it, and then I feel like everyone was saying it oh, everywhere. <laughs> just go. It's, it's just 100. It's just 100, man. You know? <laughs> Adam, Adam, I, I'm not sure about you. The only, only thing I had was when I was with the Packers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, it's the number one thing that I made fun of for in the office because it makes me sound so old, and I use it to justify. I use it in every argument I have about like, well, we should have the athlete do that, and I'll say, well, I don't know if that's authentic. When I worked for the Packers, let me tell you about this obscure guy on our practice squad and why that may not apply. I think my other phrase is, and I've heard at the beginning of every podcast, whenever we start with the introductions, I don't know what Brad is going to ask me. And usually the first thing out of my mouth is a long, um, and then <laughs> yeah, into the answer. Uh, no, that's good. All right, Gareth, uh, yours is clearly, uh, I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> with that in mind 
I would like to, uh, for the the final time at our 100th episode, this I would like to make this. This will be our last mention of my career as the manager of our eighth grade basketball team. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> that bit is being retired. <laughs> Gareth, I want to get serious for a second. Um, as <laughs> yeah, this is like my Jackie Robinson joke. I, I don't even know what's gonna happen. As the team, <laughs> as, as the the team manager of our eighth grade basketball team, who hung hung around long enough for someone to get kicked off, for someone to get kicked off the team, so you could get elevated to team status. So Gareth, I have to ask. Who did you steal your powers from? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're done with that now. You've had ample opportunities in the first hundred episodes. Yes, I did it. And then Tommy Keith was found to be 16 years old in eighth grade. (laughs) True story. And (laughs) this spot opened up and I was the 16th guy and made the team. So that's that story in a nutshell. And we're going to move on to our 101st episode and not discuss 8th grade basketball any further on this pod. There you go. Okay, right now, for our 100th episode, you knew we were going to have to 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 bring up somebody big. You know, we, we, we've been, you know, every, we, we love every one of our guests. Uh, we've had great times, great conversations. It's fun reminiscing. Wanted to make sure we, we brought someone new to the table for the 100th episode and, and where else to turn. But up north to Green Bay and and the former the the former legendary Super Bowl winning quarterback Brett Favre, not to talk about any of that, but to talk about living in rural Mississippi and hunting rattlesnakes. So Adam, yeah, Adam, the, you, you know you, you you knew Brett going back to your time. Like I think he describes himself as someone who appreciates being a storyteller. What was it like working with Brett? Uh, in Green Bay, and, and just sort of his prowess for holding a room with with his sort of eccentric series of stories. Well, I'm going to start with what sounds like a criticism, but as a PR person, he's not what you want because <laughs> Brett doesn't, as he'll say in this interview, he doesn't speak in sound bites. I remember there, my first year, I had to transcribe. Brett Favre press conferences, and there was a press conference that lasted 25 minutes, and two questions were asked. Um, So the transcript was question one, Brett answer, final question, Brett's answer, and that was the end of the press conference. (laughs) Uh, So as as much as you taught the other guys to try to speak in sound bites, you just knew Brett was going to do it his way. But that was incredible when he got in the room with the broadcast team because whether it was John Madden um, early in my career or um, some of the, the, I guess, newer legends of broadcasting, sounds weird to say, but like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, really whoever he got in the room with, he he charmed um, with his ability to tell great stories and not charm in any kind of artificial way. He just really, especially with Madden, really enjoyed those conversations. And I was 25 or 26, and especially on the road, I just wanted to go check out the city or go have dinner. Um, 
and but now looking back and realizing you sat in the room with John Madden and Brett Favre while he told family stories really for two or three hours sometimes uh it seemed uh like a burden as a young man uh but looking back on that I really cherish being able to be a part of of those rooms is, you know, he's a low-key guy, but, you know, he's having fun. We, we talk about, you know, you know, hunting, taking care of his property, uh, his lack of home improvement prowess. Finally, finally, <laughs> Brett, Brett Favre and I are on equal terms in something in this world. So, anyway, it's a fun interview. A happy 100th. And then afterwards, we will be back to distract you with our distractions. Stick around. I think the thing I get asked most about is uh, what is Brett Favre up to these days? So we know a lot of guys go into the broadcast booth and you've done some broadcasting. Some guys go into the front office and you haven't done either of those things yet. So what, what keeps your days busy? Um, you know, some days are uh, uneventful. Others, uh, it seems like I don't have enough time in the day, but here, here this past fall, really the last four or five falls, um, our youngest daughter has either been playing school ball, volleyball, that is, um, and then transitioning right into travel volleyball. And for parents who, who have had kids that played travel, they they'll know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's a full time <laughs> job, but you know, one of the perks of retirement is is I was able to make every every game and virtually every practice, especially travel practices. Me and me and Dion, we looked forward to to driving her, and it was a sad day when travel was over. And this this fall, she she played her in her first year of college, so. uh you know, it was, uh, it was, it was busy. We traveled, uh, we actually had a, uh, a two game swing in, in Wisconsin. We played University of Wisconsin. We played Marquette and, and uh, Wisconsin and, and, uh, that was a great experience. But that, that kept us mostly, I mean, full tilt, uh, and, and now it's kind of died down a little bit. There's a little lull and, so I've been doing a little hunting, me and my brother and uh, my brother-in-law and a couple of other buddies. We kind of, we, we since I retired, we kind of do two or three trips together. We went to Colorado and uh, Kansas and Illinois. And um, and that's more about just getting away and, and, and enjoying the outdoors together uh, than anything. Brett, anyone ever convince you to play fantasy football? Are you involved with you know what? My first two years out of retirement, uh-huh. um, I played. And, um, and and I'll back up. My last few years of playing, my uh, really my entire family, uh, my wife, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, mother-in-law, um, uh, friends that we've, we've known forever, friends that we've, we've uh, accrued, Throughout my playing days, all 
uh, played fantasy football. And, uh, it, you know, in fact, when I was playing, it, hey, you think you're going to throw to driver more today than Greg Jennings? Or do you think you're going to throw to Sidney Rice? Or is there Adrian going to get a bulk of the carry? <laughs> and every time I told him what I thought, the opposite would happen because you never know. And <laughs> when I when I retired, they taught me into playing, and I sucked. I was horrible because <laughs> I always kind of looked at it from an analytical sense. And it seems like to me the ones who were always on auto draft, they did better, <laughs> yeah. had a better record than I did. Yeah. Uh, so there's not a. I mean, there is some thinking that goes into it, a little bit of strategy. But at the end of the day. Um, you, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea because I, you know, my strategy didn't work. <laughs> so I don't blame. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you, Brett. I I just got booted out of my fantasy playoffs two weeks ago, uh, and then this week uh, in the what would have been the championship game, uh, my running back ran for like fifty points. So there's no rhyme or reason to it, man. I don't blame you for for moving on no. from it. Stressful because you always had to. That's your team. Something will happen to one, you know, uh, was not going to play at the last second and, and you're out doing something. And so, yeah, it was too stressful. I, that's one of the reasons I retired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the outdoors a little bit. I got a bunch of questions for you here. I mean, we specialize in, in what gets people away, athletes like yourself, uh, sports figures away from the grind of, of sports. What are their passions? I think most of your fans know about you know the, the you know your passion for the outdoors, whether it's hunting, whether it's taking care of your land. Um, I guess the the, yeah. the first question I really wanted to ask you was, what role did um, spending time outside play both in your professional career as a um, a way to get away, but now in retirement as giving you uh, you know clear sense of purpose and 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 lots of things to do that you're passionate about uh, in retirement. Well, I I'll back up to when I was a kid and. Uh, Growing up with two brothers and a sister, we grew up, uh, um, you know, I would say at the time, a very rural area. Um, and and it's, it's grown a lot like a lot of places now, and, and it's not the same. But I didn't realize what neighbors, you know, what, what that was like, having neighbors, someone you could walk next door and visit with or, or go outside and play ball with other other kids from the neighborhood. We didn't have that. So um, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just the way it was, just like kids who grew up in the city. Um, but for us, um, you, you learn to, to manufacture, um, you know, different things. You, you, I mean, we, we built a full court. I say full court. It was, it was, um, the the dimensions were not close, but but it had two goals. We made it out of pine trees and plywood, and uh, and we played full court basketball. We were when we got hit by a hurricane and our power was out for a week. We we bathed out in the river. We would take <laughs> bar of soap. We lived right on the river. You could go out there in an inner tube and 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 bathe. You know, you uh, it was it was. Uh, it was a different way of life. And, you know, when you're, 
when you're growing up, you you don't really appreciate what you have or the environment you grew up in, um, you know, how things were until later on in life. And, you know, I'm not, not that I'm, I'm that old, but I'm 48 years old and, um, have, have pretty much seen and done just about everything. And, um, you know, have a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of adversity. Um, but at the end of the day, I appreciate more my upbringing, um, there's not a day goes by that, that I don't think about those days. And, and, and when I'm outside, which is every single day, um, if I, if I had my pick, I would be outside of my property every day doing something, something, um, some days that's worthwhile other days that's, that's not, but at least I'm outside doing something. And so, um, I don't think I appreciated it that much when I was growing up as a kid, you know, it was just, when dad would would tell us we had to get a rake or we had to cut grass or we had to pick up leaves or we had to, um, you know, I would say to myself, like most kids, I, when I get older, I'm never doing that. I, but <laughs> I find myself doing a lot of the same things and, 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 and really appreciating when I look back at the end of the day, um, not so much what I accomplished, even though there's days where I do, but, but just, the fact that I was out there doing something. And so, uh, you know, going on hunts and things like that, uh, again, it's, it's more about experience and the outdoors and, and kind of resetting, you know, the mind, uh, if you will, because, you know, I love football. You know, it, it meant a great deal to me and my family and, and always will. Um, you know, extremely grateful for what it, um, has been able to provide for me and my family. But, you know, also there was a, uh, a great deal of privacy that was taken away. That's, that's kind of goes with the, with the job. Um, so being able to kind of get back to reality, if you will, um, and, and doing it outdoors the way I you know, did as a kid, um, is really refreshing. Brett, um, I don't know if you remember, but my dad grew up in Hattiesburg as well, and he was—he uh, still is a self-described country boy. And one of the reasons he moved to Colorado, uh, where I'm from, is to discover a new level of outdoors and um, the the hunting and fishing that were available there. Now that you have the time and the means, you mentioned that you've done some traveling. Are there some favorite spots or some favorite hunts that you've been on around the country? Yeah, there, there really are. You know, uh, Colorado is one of one of the most beautiful places you can ever go to, and I, you know, obviously you know that. Um, if you would have told me now, growing up in in South Mississippi, we never got snow. I mean, it, and I say that we got nine inches a week and a half ago that actually stuck for two days, um, which is incredible because um, mm-hmm. you know we. One time in my in my 48 years, I ever remember building a snowman in Mississippi, and I was probably five. <laughs> and so, um, so obviously, snow skiing or winter outdoor stuff was was is an was an afterthought for us. You know, we wished it would would be snowy on Christmas Day, yet it'd be 85 degrees. Yeah. So, so if you'd have told me, really. 
up until my last day of pro football, uh, that I would go on snow skis and, and, you know, try my hand at that and, and take the family on. I would have said, you're absolutely crazy. But yet we found, we find ourselves going year in every, since I've retired, we've gone to either Steamboat or Park City or, um, Yellowstone Club in, in Big Sky. Um, we've, we've taken trips to, to Yellowstone Park. We've gone to Glacier. Um, we went to see the Redwoods out in California. This past summer, we were in uh, Seattle for two days, and then we we drove up to Vancouver, spent two days in Vancouver, and then we drove up to Whistler, Canada, and spent four days there. And We hiked. We uh, we went mountain biking. We, we you know, and, and it's been incredible. It, it really has. And, um, you know, I've, I try to encourage people down here who were much like me, were not travelers uh, necessarily. Um, and so you really don't know what you're missing. And when you go to Colorado and it's snowing in June or like we went on, uh, an elk hunt early, early September and it's snowing on us at 8,500 feet. There's no humidity. When you grow up in Mississippi, you, you're just used to waking up and, you know, water dripping off of and, you know, they don't know what humidity is out there. And, I mean, it's just experiencing different ways of life and, and God's beauty in so many different ways. And to me, I, you know, I'm, I'm far from a mountain man because I didn't grow up in that, but I love the mountain. Uh, Brett, I remember uh, a poster. I think it was, I know it was you, Wesley Walls, Craig Nall, uh, and I don't remember who else was on that poster, but it was a poster of, you hunting. Maybe it was Doug. It might, yeah, I think Doug. Yeah, you're right. Doug Peterson was on there. Um, I'm sure you got some experts and some novices out in the field uh, during some of your hunting exp- expeditions. Do you have uh, a teammate who was the best hunter? And if you want to call them out, the worst hunter as well. <laughs> you know, I, I never went hunt went out hunting with, with a bad hunter and I could, you could, you could easily label me as a bad hunter because I'm, I'm, I'm fairly impatient. <laughs> and as a hunter or as a fisherman, um, you know, patient is, you know, your biggest asset because sometimes you catch a fish on your first cast. Sometimes it's four hours and, you know, uh, same goes with hunting. You know, just because you go and sit in a tree doesn't mean that all of a sudden the, the wildlife is all around you. Um, you know, and so, um, that's to me, what, uh, that's one of the things I love about, I'm not a fisherman in, in spite of what people may think, <laughs> but I, but I, I do like to hunt. And, and I think for me, it's, I find that the older I get, the more, I, um, I look at hunting in a different way and it's, it's not so much about taking an animal. Um, although that happens from time to time, it's more about seeing an animal in its setting. And for the most part, it not know, it not knowing that you're there. And there's something about that that's pretty cool. Um, and so what, one of the ways that I got away from, from football 
one of the few and only ways, uh, for the most part, that I got away from football was going out, out in the woods, and and just getting away from everything. Because I knew when I got back to the building or got back in town, um, you know, that was not going to be the case. But it was, it was, it was going to be, you know, just a frenzy. Um, some days sure. more than others, but I knew in the woods, it was just me and the animals, the trees, and the solitude. And so um, to answer your question, as far as good and bad hunters, uh, we, we've all had our goods and bad, bad days. And, sure. and uh, Doug went with me a lot. Uh, loved him to death. He was a great friend. He was a, a, a great teammate. Uh, still is. Uh, we, we, we talk fairly regular. Craig and all, I talked to him uh, pretty regular. Um, both were good hunters. Both enjoyed the outdoors like myself. Wesley, I only got to play with for a year. Right. Um, but he and I stay in contact all, all the time. And we're always trying to set up a hunt together, which we never find the time to do it. But, uh, but just great memories. Yeah, Brett, occasionally I've talked with, um, you know, folks who, who've had either close calls or, or at least calls where, uh, they just felt like they got into a, a, a bad situation. Either either something snuck up on them, or they just kind of had a moment where they went, "Uh oh." I mean, so and it all depends on, I guess, you know what you know what you hunt, what kind of game you're after. But have you ever had any any situations that you just felt like where you either felt in danger or got legitimately nervous or scared for what was going to happen next? I, I suppose the answer to that question is yes to no, and I was playing. Um, two years ago, um, Daryl Bevel, who's, who's a great friend of mine, uh, of course, offense coordinator at Seattle, um, who is not a hunter at all, never hunted, um, knows nothing about it, never even shot a gun. So the Super Bowl was in San Francisco, and that was when they were making an announcement um, for the finalists or uh, um the final seven or whatever of, of our Hall of Fame class. So I had to be out there. So uh, me and Deanna and another couple that we're friends with here in, in Hattiesburg, we, we went out to San Francisco and did our thing. And then we, when the game was over, we drove up to a, a little town north of San Francisco called Hillsburg, real nice little quaint town. We were sitting there having dinner, and, and Daryl calls me out of the blue. And... Uh, so I answered the phone, and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm having dinner uh, just north of San Francisco. And we, after small talk, he said, look, kind of short notice, but my, my first cousin, she lives in, um, uh, it's, it's uh, southwestern Utah, uh, real about 100 miles from Mount Zion National Park. And so uh, he said she... Uh, her husband has some extra mountain lion tag and mm. um, wants to know if, if we you know, if if we want to come hunting. And and I said, well, when? He said, uh, first first week in March. So it was like a month out, you know, a month month and a half out, I guess. Uh, and I said, so I looked over at my buddy and I said, hey Jay, you want to go mountain lion hunting? He goes. Yeah, sure. When? <laughs> so I said, sounds like the first week in March. So we went. I've never, you know, I've never seen a mountain lion in person. 
There are no mountain lions in Mississippi. The only mountain lions I've ever seen were on TV. Um, I, I, I knew absolutely nothing about hunting a mountain lion. Uh, and, and quite frankly, not, not much about a mountain lion at all. Uh, but that like, on occasion, they attack people. So we go out there. We meet Daryl. Uh, we first day we ride on horseback for eighteen and a half miles up and down the mountain. What? Uh, with with dogs. Uh, Daryl's first cousin, her husband Cliff, has dogs, and uh, he's been doing this all his life. Grew up in Utah, and they they just look for tracks and sniff. And so, long story short, that that was it was beautiful, but yet grueling at the same time because it was kind of like seeing utah on horseback it was such a beautiful setting you'd go down in the valley and it would be 30 degrees you would go up around the hill where the sun was shining and it would be 75 um and once we we got off the horses and put them in a trailer we we rode down the road looking for tracks we found some tracks we, the dogs got out and, and his cliff said hey they're on a mountain line. We're getting ready. This was getting ready to get real. And so we're running through brush up and down a mountain. We're trying to get to when the dogs finally treat this mountain lion. Uh, and I was exhausted when I got, got to the mountain line. Um, and we were like five yards and it was looking at us, uh, just, you know, hissing and, and, and growling at us. <laughs> and wow. there, there was a certain amount of fear, but, um, but I trusted Cliff and his expertise, and and I, I'll say this: it was people have asked me since when I've show, showed them pictures of the setting and what you know what it was like, and they said, "Well, was it worth it?" And I said, "I would I would tell you, I would tell anyone, if you ever have the opportunity, do it once. Now after that." That's up to you. I got no desire to do it again. It was one of the hardest things. I mean, that was some extreme work, um, but it was it was so rewarding. Just you know, really the journey of it. I mean, it was it was it was beautiful but tough at the same time. Now, on your property, you've got, I've read you've got like rattlesnakes and stuff, and that you, you've occasionally had to snuff those guys out. How, how would you compare? I mean, that to me is terrifying. You're just walking, on the, walking down the grass and like you bump into a snake. Uh, is there any art to, to catching and or, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting rid of, of, of those types of uh, animals on your land? And are you like a Steve Irwin, like a crocodile hunter type of, you know, grab them by the, Grab by the rattle, Brett, and just like go bare hands. Now, well, I'm not really afraid of. I mean, I grew up seeing poisonous snakes at any point during the uh, during the year. Um, it is not uncommon. Uh, I grew up seeing alligators out out our front window. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and you know, and that's the same river that we would bathe in. Um, I'm probably more, a lot more apprehensive and in reserve now than I would have been uh, in my younger days. It's all relative, you know, where you grew up. I'm not, no, I, you know, I'm not particularly scared of of snakes, but I don't, I don't really put myself in harm's way 
you know, like like my first cousin got bit by a, a water moccasin one time, which is a poisonous snake. And I said, what were you doing? And he said, well, I was, I, I was holding it in my hand. Well, duh, they bite. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. If I see, in fact, I was me, me and the three or four guys, we, we'd like to road bike here in Hattiesburg. And so we were road biking last week and it was actually probably 50 degrees, which usually snakes are hibernating. And on the side of the road, there was a, probably a seven to six and a half foot rattlesnake that was as big around as my leg that was just right there. And no, we were not in any harm. If we would have gotten off the bike, went over and, and, you know, Hey, look, I'm going to try to pet it or pick it up. You run the risk of getting bit. I don't do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I've taken a lot of chances in my life, but that's, that's, you know, I'm not doing that. So, you know, it's knowing your limitations, knowing an animal's limitations. If I go, you know, bathing in a in a swamp in the middle of the summer, uh, there's always a good chance you can get snake bit or come across an alligator. So, um, I, I usually don't do that anymore. Uh, Brett, you talked about. Uh, I've heard you talk about your land a lot, um, and the time you take to not just pay someone to, to tend to it, but you're actually out there working on your land and various projects and you buy new equipment. When did you first acquire the land that you live on now? And, and what's your, your maintenance process like? Oh, well, we bought this in 1999. Um, there is 465 acres that we didn't have a, a number necessarily in mind. We just wanted a little privacy. Uh, that could have been 10 acres. It could have been 100. It could have, you know, ultimately turn out to be 465. But the reason for that was we looked at a lot of different pieces of land. We looked at some off the highway, uh, on the highway, uh, close to subdivisions, far from subdivisions, uh, higher price, lower price, and this one just turned out to be the best one. Um, it, now, of the 465, what do we actually manicure or take care of? Probably not near, uh, you know, you know that amount. Um, I, and I don't know the exact number, but so I don't do it all myself. I mean, there's no way I can cut all the grass and weedy and spray and do all the things that have to be done. And at times it's overwhelming um, because... When, anytime you have stuff, stuff breaks, and it always seems to break, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or you know, a leak in a house. Or, there's always, and it always seems to happen at the wrong time. There's never a good time or a right time for things to go. You know, sprinklers never go down when you're not using them. You know, right. when you really need them when they break. Um, so, uh, in fact. Got a leak in, in our ceiling now. I was up on the roof earlier today trying to put some tarp over it. Um, and, you, you know, we're expecting like five or six days straight of rain. So it's like the old saying, when it rains, it pours. Um, so, um, you know, uh, this time of year is my favorite time of year. I love Christmas time. I love the fall. I love the winter. Um, 
And I've always loved that. I love it more now because there's not near the maintenance that is required at this time of year. Grass is not growing. Stuff, stuff in general is not growing. So you can, it, it's more waking up and just enjoying yourself and not feel like you have to go balls to the wall, uh, doing, uh, various things. At 465 anchor acres, why are you not mayor of Hattiesburg? That's got to be half of the city. <laughs> uh, no, well, <laughs> uh, politics, first of all, ain't my thing. <laughs> and signing up, you know, you, you mentioned broadcasting and doing all those things, uh, fun office work. I, I, I think I would enjoy it. I think I, you know, I mean, I, I may be wrong, but I think I would be pretty good at it. Uh, but also that means your time, uh, commitment is huge, huge. And, you know, and I know you're, you're more or less joking, but any, any type of commitment, um, like that is going to require me to be away from what I enjoy most. Brett, uh, my wife made fun of me recently because she came downstairs and I was paying a like a handyman to hang up some shelves, and I was in the other room watching uh, HGTV's Fixer Upper, and she's like, "Why are you watching a home improvement show and paying somebody else to do the work?" And so I'm just curious, from your perspective as, as a hands-on guy, are, are are there like home? Are you into that like a home improvement, um, you know, television or entertainment? I guess no, where, that's where not you my expertise. No, no. No, I'm I'm terrible in the house. I I, <laughs> I wash dishes. I take out the trash. I do kind of the general stuff. But I try to fix something that may, that, you know, may be broken. Um, but I'm I'm not good at it, I re- and I have zero patience. Um, which you know that type of stuff. If you're not real sure how to do something, it requires you know, a little bit of time and patience to figure out how to do it. And I, that's not my cup of tea. Not at all. Hey, hey, Brett, speaking of, uh, dealing with weather conditions, I know you and your wife, uh, have done some triathlons. Is that, is that something you're doing on an ongoing basis or is that kind of one and done? Yeah, that was one and done. I'm, I'm always looking for challenges. Um, Last year, uh, oh, it was like January. I actually ran a half marathon. Why? I have no idea. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to do it. So I kind of trained for it. <laughs> the year before that, I did a, uh, a, a triathlon in, in Key West, Florida. Why? I, I just, it, it, you know, I wasn't trying to break no records. I wasn't trying to run a half marathon, you know, uh, you know, breakneck speed. Um, but I can say I've done it and I, it's definitely like something within me that it's, it's like, um, there's no way at, at 21 years old or 18 years old that I would have ever even considered doing things like that. And I think for that reason, that's why I've done some, especially at my age. You know, and not that that's old, because there's people at seventy that that would blow me away, and maybe even older than that. But but there's a certain certain amount of uh, you know pride that goes into it, and I think the older you get, 
the more committed you get to a lot of things and, and the more you appreciate those things. And so I think running all the time, the rest of my life would probably do more harm than good. But on occasion, um, I can challenge myself and, and I love to, to bike. It's a way of staying healthy and, and, um, kind of enjoying outdoors for, for, you know, two, three hours a day if I choose. So, um, I don't know what the next challenge is, but, uh, but I'm sure there will be something. Uh, no plans. Or, you know, to race the Tour de France or anything like that. There are a lot of challenges that, that the general population can do. And uh, there's one um, in Colorado, I think, something bypass where you, you go 120 miles and half of it is going straight up the mountain. Uh, obviously, the other half would be coming down. Uh-huh. And, you know, the coming down is easy, but you got to get to the top. Like, in my, I think we're going to do it mid. Uh, Deanna and, and all of our biking friends, and you know, you know stuff like that. So we're always looking for the next uh, challenge. I have one more question for you, rather request. I remember. Um, so these guys make fun of me all the time because I talk about when I used to work for the Packers a lot, but um, I did enjoy it so much. And one of my favorite memories were on the road. Um, Someone would order you your cheeseburger and fries, and you'd go to your room while we waited for the production meeting. And, of course, the best were with John Madden because there'd be 10 or 15 minutes of football, and then he just wanted to hear your family stories. I I don't know if any are appropriate for a podcast format, but if you would indulge us, are there any stories you can tell us about Uncle Rube? Uh, <laughs> Uncle Rube, yeah, Uncle Rube. First of all, he's not my uncle, but <laughs> he he was famous at Southern Miss. One of my great friends and teammates, um, who is from Centerville, Alabama, just outside Tuscaloosa. Uh, we played three years together. We we still remain great friends today. Bryant Matters. That was his uncle, and he was famous for, um. Let's just say Reggie White was famous for his sacks. Uncle <laughs> yeah. was famous for his sacks. <laughs> so, um, you know, word got over to John Madden and Pat Summerall about Uncle Rube and, uh, you know, what he was famous for. And and so it seemed like, and you were in a lot of those meetings, that was what we ended up talking mostly about was Uncle Rube and, uh, you know, was he still hanging around? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we can end on that. But, well, r- real quick, how great were those? I mean, you guys would talk for three or four hours sometimes. I Just, just some yeah. some awesome meetings. Football is like the last thing we talked about. We yeah. had some good times. Uh, love those guys. Um, I, I actually look forward to those production meetings because, um, you know, I consider myself a storyteller. And, it was really, you know, story time for me and what I felt like, you know, put me at ease and what I did best. Um, I didn't like to sit in meetings and, you know, and, and be restricted. I, I like to just, you know, tell tell stories and laugh. I mean, that, that's kind of my MO. So that was perfect. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on and, and speaking with us today and, uh, 
uh, enjoy the outdoors, enjoy volleyball, and hopefully we'll be in touch soon. All right, guys. Great talking to you. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, uh, they're always told when you're interesting, stopping interesting, go back, break down game film, don't be a distraction. Well, on this show, we know life is work and the things that distract us from work. So we celebrate what's distracting us. And right now, because it's episode 100, we're going to go back and give you our individual choice. And no, no... Uh, honorable mentions, just one episode of Just Not Sports that we think you should listen to to get distracted. So what is your distraction, Just Not Sports? All right. I'm going to break the rule. I'm going to episode 66. You should listen to Brian Curtis and Brad talk about Jurassic Park. That was an exceptional interview. Episode 61, Mike Tunison at Xmas Ape on Twitter. Merry Christmas, Xmas Ape. He is a writer. He is my favorite voice in sports Twitter. I think he's the funniest person live tweeting games at Xmas Ape. Check him out. In his spare time when he's not writing, he is a moving guy, and he breaks down moving. So those are my two. Episode 61, episode 66. Nice. All right, Adam, how about you? I think it's really interesting of course, we try not to talk about it too much, but guys, we won a Peabody this past year for our More Than Mean project, and when we made the video, I, I think we thought it was important. We had no idea that it would um, make the impact or get the attention that it did. So I will go to episodes, which are episode 26, where we talked to Julie DeCaro right after um, we shot the video and then episode 27 was kind of the immediate aftermath of the video blowing up. It's something I went back and listened to recently because you kind of lose touch with, uh, I think we probably talked more eloquently about, uh, Trump being elected than we did those, uh, the post more than mean blowing up episode because I think we were all in a state of shock about what was happening. It was felt really surreal and going back and listening to that and the emotions involved, I thought was really cool. Yeah. I remember, um, the two that I'm sort of circling the drain on that stick out to me. One is, um, Chris Cluey's second appearance, um, on the show, which is episode 36 when he comes back and he talks about world of Warcraft I love the idea of, I think he was our first repeat, first and only repeat guest. Him coming back, it, was, it felt like, oh, hey, our friend Chris is back. I liked that. I thought it was a great conversation. And also a really good example of, it felt like a really good synthesized example of what we're all about. Uh, an athlete who is so passionate and excited about this thing. And maybe it's it's like the geeky nerddom fandom element to like World of Warcraft and how he's involved in it. But I just remember lo loving hearing him talk about it and also loving all of us having no idea basically what he's talking about, Brad, to what you talked about recently about like so much of our conversations are about learning as much as they are about sort of conversing and talking and if we can listen more. And, and it, I remember that being a really good example of that. 
other one I will mention is Jonah Carey, episode 16. Brad, you and him geeking out over Simpsons was just awesome and super fun to listen to. So those would be my two. Uh, those are all great. And there's a bunch of guests that you know we've mentioned who are on, the, on the start of this 100th episode retrospective that I think are fun. I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna point to some of the other sides of this show, which is I think what we do aggressively is explore the darker sides of the athletic experience, especially from a mental health perspective. So I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, but Jay Williams, the, the, the former Duke uh, superstar who lost his career in a motorcycle accident, getting very open about trying to find a purpose after basketball. Uh, Kayla Harrison and Kenny Anderson, uh, two athletes, an, an Olympic champion and an NBA draft pick who talked about being sexually abused. Um, we have talked depression on this show and mental health is so important. Mark Titus, uh, the ringer, uh, you know, a writer and now a really successful podcaster, former uh, Ohio State player, spent a whole episode talking about his depression, talking about, you know, um, d- how close he got to suicide in, in pretty graphic detail. Just don't, I, my advice for everyone who's ever listened to this show is this just don't forget that athletes are people. They don't, I, I've, I've worked in rooms in the NBA, at, at, you know, I, I've been around. You know, I've been in a room where everyone is six foot ten, and you feel like these aren't people. This is no one even sees me. They don't even look down. They they must be in a different plane of existence, and they are not. Everybody in sports is a human being, and you can get frustrated with them when they drop the pass. Um, but don't ever lose sight of the fact of them carrying a bad day at the office home the same way we do, or them dealing with bullshit at home and having to go to the office and try to plow through a day. They make millions of dollars in some cases, and in some cases they don't. Um, but that's not their fault. <laughs> what they make is not their fault. Um, it, we're all just trying to get by. You know, I'm reminded of somebody who's wrestled with all these same things, and he came out on top as a champion. I think they even built a statue about him. Just, just do what Starberry would do. It's all right, man. You know, just do what Starberry would do. So, <laughs> Stefan Marbury was our second ever Twitter follower behind Louis the Hammer to Cosmo, um, PR superstar. And I DM'd Starberry and was like, come on for our 100th episode. A real, r- real crickets on that one, guys. <laughs> we've tweeted at him. We've got at him every way we can, and he hasn't agreed to do it yet, but... I, I legit slipped into Stefan Marbury's DMs, guys, for this show. <laughs> All right? So <laughs> you know I'll do anything. All right, that is our 100th show. Any shout-outs, guys? I'm going to shout-out all of our guests, all the publicists who made it happen, uh, Sarah Spain, Julie DeCaro, Charles Tillman, Greg Jennings from our video projects. Uh, <clears throat> Joe Reed, any shout-outs? I would say shout-out to anyone who... Um, is struggling and and overcoming the the obstacles in making something creative because you never know they might blow up and um, hit a hundred episodes and 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 keep going on and on. So shout out to the makers out there. Hey Joe, when you say blown up, you mean make no money, right? <laughs> oh, a, a, that is exactly exactly. <laughs> 
still never made a dime on Just Not Sports. Yeah, I, I think shout out to the folks who have listened and gave us feedback, both people we know. The Sparkle Ponies. And people who we've met. Yeah, people we've met along the way. So um, people who you've encountered, obviously our families have listened uh, to a couple episodes. Um, but there are those people who listen every week. So people like Drew, Polly, who are buddies of mine, and then new friends like uh, Johnny from Idaho who texts us and gives us feedback and sends in questions. It's Sometimes you do the show and you wonder uh, if it's going out and no one has heard that particular episode. So it's nice to get that feedback, and I think – um, if there are things you would like to hear, if there are ways you think we can improve the dynamic of our show, we love all of that. So keep it coming. And of course, as usual, I'd like to give a shout out to my boy, Uzi, Def Jeff, Lil Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin, Ron. I'm glad you said that because guys. I'm glad you said that because that reminded me Def Jeff is a two-time guest on Just Not Sports. Thank yep. you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, our nation's finest finest poet, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.